I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Money can unify or divide society. To many of us, it might seem like wealthy people enjoy lifestyles that only exist in our wildest dreams. Ben Novak Jr. was the only child of Bernice and Ben Novak Sr., who owned and operated the legendary Fountain Blue Miami Beach Hotel. Being born into money granted Ben Jr. countless advantages, but it also put him in great peril. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I walk you through the case of Bernice and Ben Novak Jr. This case takes us to several locations, 
with a starting point of Miami Beach, the Southern Florida coastal city has a long-standing reputation for beach vacations, partying, and excess. From the 1950s through the 1970s, the Novak family made their fortune by running the most opulent hotel in all of Miami Beach. When the Fountain Blue opened in 1954, it was South Florida's largest and most luxurious oceanfront property. The hotel quickly became a popular vacation spot for the rich and famous, welcoming stars like Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland, and Elvis Presley. It's also been featured in various Hollywood productions, including Scarface and The Bodyguard. With its expansive neo-baroque architecture, the Fountain Blue Miami Beach was iconic in its heyday. One of its most prominent features is a floating staircase, also known as the Staircase to Nowhere, that leads to a small cloakroom. In Hollywood's golden age, guests would make their grand entrance by descending the hotel's iconic staircase. Today, it remains an acclaimed modern luxury resort with a variety of high-end restaurants. The Novak case also takes us to Fort Lauderdale, another coastal city in Florida, located about 30 miles north of Miami. While both Fort Lauderdale and Miami Beach have been popular destinations, Miami Beach has always been viewed as the place for serious partiers. It's a reputation that Ben Novak Sr. was banking on when he built his luxury hotel. Ben Novak Sr. was born in February of 1907 to Russian Jewish immigrant parents. His father, Hyman, had an entrepreneurial spirit all his life. He worked his way from clothing cutter to clothing store owner. For many years, the family operated a hotel in the Borscht Belt of the Catskill Mountains before Hyman Novak passed away. It's easy to see how Ben Novak Sr. followed in his father's footsteps. Despite the economic downturn of the Great Depression, Ben Novak Sr. recognized that the rich and famous still had their go-to winter vacation destinations. Ben Sr.'s timing was key. During World War II, the U.S. Army requisitioned dozens of area hotels and apartment buildings to serve as military training grounds. In post-war Miami Beach, Ben Sr. bought several properties and used the profits to construct a hotel of epic proportions. In 1952, Ben Novak Sr. purchased the mansion of tire tycoon Harvey S. Firestone, which sat on Millionaire's Row, the epicenter of Miami high society. The Fountain Blue Miami Beach was Ben Sr.'s crowning achievement when it opened in 1954. The property, when adjusted for today's inflation, reportedly cost $16 million to complete. Ben Sr.'s investment paid off but his first marriage fell apart. By the time the Fountain Blue welcomed its first guests, Ben Sr. was married to his second wife, Bernice. Ben Sr. met Bernice Mildred Stemple in the 1940s during one of his many business trips to New York. Bernice had a rocky childhood spent in foster homes before she made her debut in the New York fashion world. She turned heads as a model for artist Salvador Dali and appeared in Coca-Cola ads emblematic of the era. When they got married in 1952, 
31-year-old Bernice became a Miami Beach icon. Her graceful and classy demeanor completely suited Ben Sr.'s climbing social stature. Together, they ran the Fountain Blue with all the prestige of a Hollywood theater, hosting performances by the likes of Judy Garland, Bob Hope, Lucille Ball, and Marlene Dietrich. The Novaks were basking in high society's limelight when they had their only child, Ben Novak Jr., in 1956. Ben Jr. was raised from his parents' penthouse on the 17th floor of the hotel's chateau. He witnessed firsthand all the work that went into being a successful hotelier and all the perks that came with it. Not many children could say their mother appeared on magazine covers alongside Frank Sinatra, but Ben could. His parents also attended President John F. Kennedy's inauguration. Despite the privileged life his parents' wealth allowed him to enjoy, Ben Jr. insisted that his childhood was far from perfect. In the 2009 book, Fool's Paradise, Ben Jr. told author Stephen Gaines, I never had a childhood. I was always among adults. I had several nannies, but I didn't know what it was like to be a normal kid playing in the neighborhood. If I met some kids, they were only around for four days with their parents on vacation. It was the only childhood that Ben Jr. knew. Ben Sr. operated the hotel for 24 years until health issues forced him to sell the property in 1978. In their later years, Ben Sr. and Bernice led separate lives in relative obscurity. Ben Sr. lived in the care of a new love interest former Miss Uruguay, Juana Rodriguez, who was decades younger than him. As reported by the New York Times, Juana accused Ben Jr. of keeping his ailing father over-sedated and isolated from friends in order to gain power of attorney. It made sense that Ben Jr. wanted to keep an eye on his inherited fortune. In 1985, when Ben Sr. passed away from heart and lung failure at age 78, his estate was valued at over $11 million in today's money. After his father's death, the estate was handed down to Ben Jr. A sizable portion of Ben Jr.'s wealth came from a slightly eccentric hobby. He was a world-renowned collector of Batman memorabilia. Ben Jr. boasted ownership of a life-sized Batmobile, and he had an original copy of the first-ever Batman comic. After his father's death, the family business, Novak Enterprises, was teetering on bankruptcy. Ben Jr. was intent on stabilizing the family estate with a new business venture. He formed Convention Concepts International, a large-scale event planning company that proved lucrative. Bernice Novak had worked as her late husband's secretary at the hotel, so it seemed a natural fit to work in a similar role for her son which she did into retirement. Convention Concepts International went on to earn $50 million a year, according to the Sun Sentinel. A few years after his company's inception, Ben Jr. met a stripper out of Hialeah, Florida, named Narcisa Valise, or Narcy for short. Even though they came from very different walks of life and there was a decade between them, Narcy made a lasting impression. The Ecuador native was vivacious, fun to be around, and affectionate. 
Ben made Narcy his wife in 1991, ensuring she signed a prenuptial agreement. If she and Ben divorced, Narcy would only receive $65,000 plus living expenses. It was Ben's way of ensuring that Narcy wasn't with him just for his money. I'm excited to have Via Hemp as a new sponsor. Via Hemp offers a great selection of CBD and THC products that ship discreetly nationwide right to your doorstep. You don't even need a medical card because their THC comes from organic hemp, making it available in all 50 states. What's really cool about Via Hemp is their focus on crafting a one-of-a-kind cannabis experience. They blend hemp compounds with functional plant extracts to create products with specific effects in mind. Whether you're after a better sleep, anxiety relief, a mood lift, or just a good time, they've got something for you. And if you're not into THC, they have non-THC products that still offer some of those great effects, like their CBD goodies. All of their THC products come in different strengths so you can find the perfect dosage for you. Whether you prefer microdose gummies or something a bit stronger, Via Hemp has a gummy for you. Personally, I prefer microdosing or just CBD to lift my mood or help me relax, especially before bedtime. Besides the great effects for my mind and body, I also love the tasty flavors. Via Hemp gummies taste like candy. If you're 21 plus and want to try their products, go to viahemp.com and use code MURDERISH for 15% off. Plus, they'll add a free pack of their award-winning THC gummies to your order. Go to the link in the description or type in viahemp.com and use code MURDERISH for 15% off plus free gummies. The marriage to Ben Jr. quickly transformed Narcy from a bleach blonde working girl to a curly-haired brunette trophy wife mingling with South Florida's high society. Narcy had a daughter, May Abad, from a previous relationship, who Ben Jr. reluctantly took in as a stepdaughter. Ben and Narcy reportedly had a stormy relationship riddled with mutual infidelities. At one point, Ben filed for divorce, but he ended up rescinding it. Their marriage of nearly two decades all came crashing down with one specific affair that began in late 2008. Rebecca A. Bliss was a Fort Lauderdale-based tattoo artist working as an escort and dabbling in the porn industry when she met Ben Novak Jr. Early on, he used his money to express his affections. According to the Miami New Times, the gifts he gave Rebecca included a $4,000 spa escape, $10,000 in furnishings for an apartment that he rented on her behalf, a cell phone, and a toy poodle. Narcy caught on to the affair, possibly because her husband's infatuation dipped into the family capital. Rebecca told disapproving friends that Ben had promised to leave his wife for her. When Narcy reached out to her husband's mistress unexpectedly, she offered Rebecca $10,000 to break it off. Based on the events that followed, it seems Rebecca scoffed at Narcy's offer, which likely set off a series of events that would end in a double murder. 
Bernice Novak was having an unusually rough month in April of 2009. At 86 years old, she was at the point in her life where her steps were a little less stable and her bones growing a bit frail. Still, she was in better shape than most people her age. Bernice was active, health conscious, and according to one neighbor quoted in the journal news, had the body of a 60-year-old. Indicative of her age, though, she did suffer the occasional fall, most recently in the parking lot of her bank. But she insisted to her son that she was just fine living on her own. Like many aging parents, she fought him tooth and nail when he suggested a senior living facility. Just a week after that fall, on April 4th, Bernice was pulling her car into the garage for the evening when she was violently attacked. Rebecca Green, Bernice's neighbor and friend, was the first to notice that something was wrong. As reported by the Journal News, Rebecca noticed that Bernice's garage door was open the next morning. Bernice would have never left it open. The sight worried Rebecca, who ran back to her husband, William, to ask for his help. They walked around the perimeter of Bernice's house and peered inside, concerned. It caught their attention that the TV and all the lights were still on, so Bernice's neighbors decided to call Ben Jr. About a half hour later, Ben arrived with his wife, Narcy. He wasn't at all prepared for what he found. As he entered his mother's home, Ben caught a glimpse of Bernice on the laundry room floor. She was still in her nightgown from the night before. It was a horrific sight that he tried to erase from his mind for a long time after. Fort Lauderdale police did little, if any, analysis of the scene. This surprised Ben since there was blood inside his mother's car and a trail of blood droplets leading from the garage toward the house. According to CBS News, Broward County Medical Examiner Joshua Perper determined that Bernice died from head trauma, resulting from a fall. An autopsy revealed her skull was cracked, one of her fingers was fractured, and her jaw was broken. Right away, Ben Jr. believed that something was off about his mother's death. It struck him as odd that a glass of white wine was left out on one of her living room tables. His mother never drank white wine. Bernice's official cause of death was listed as accidental. Odds were high that it would have remained that way, but fate often has a way of revealing the truth, even when it's obstructed. The Novaks and their loved ones mourned the loss of Bernice. In the quiet community she called home, her glamorous youth wasn't common knowledge. But Bernice's home was filled with relics of the past. Scrapbooks of photographs with her pose next to world leaders, celebrities, and mobsters filled her closets and adorned her grand piano. Bernice's obituary on Legacy.com honored her lively spirit calling her a vibrant, active, independent, and strong-willed woman. As much as he missed his mother, Ben Jr. had a business to maintain. He pushed past his grief and focused on preparations for an upcoming convention for his biggest client, Amway. Work was Ben's only refuge. His marriage was rockier than ever since Narcy had discovered the affair with Rebecca. 
Bickering between Ben and Narcy had escalated into physical violence. On July 12th of 2009, Ben and Narcy were staying at the Hilton Rye Town in Rybrook, New York, an upscale village in Westchester County. The Novaks had arranged and organized vendors, event space, and catering for Amway, a multi-level marketing company in the health and beauty industry. On the first day of the convention, Narcy went down to the lobby for breakfast. Afterward, she returned to the room to find her husband beaten beyond recognition. Narcy told the Rybrook police that she found Ben lying face down in a pool of blood with his wrists and ankles bound in duct tape. Right away, detectives questioned the validity of Narcy's statements. It seemed reasonable to suspect the last person to see Ben alive had played some role in his grisly murder. Of course, she denied any involvement or intent to harm her husband, but Rybrook investigators found it logical to start their investigation by taking a closer look at Narcy. Narcy told officers that she believed Ben had been killed in a botched robbery. According to her statement cited by ABC News, Narcy said in the weeks leading up to her husband's murder that he'd made a deal to buy a rare Batman comic from a collector. Ben's initial offer was $43,000, but they couldn't seem to agree on a price. An argument soon followed. After the disgruntled exchange, the dealer had shown up at their home and was out for revenge, according to Narcy. The crime scene details did not align with Narcy's account in the slightest. Horrifically, Ben's eyes had been gouged out, which seemed extreme for a robbery. The act seemed personal, as if someone had it out for Ben Jr. Even stranger, several valuable items had been left behind. A Rolex that Ben was known to wear regularly was found in a pool of blood, though a flashy gold bracelet that spelled out his name in diamonds was missing. There was one tiny piece of evidence that stood out, a piece of plastic from a knockoff pair of Versace sunglasses. Though Narcy claimed that they were hers, detectives soon learned from friends of the couple that they didn't own any knockoff luxury items. There was no need when they had the type of wealth that most people covet. Narcy was brought in for further questioning. As quoted by the Journal Gazette, when asked if she had something to do with her husband's murder, Narcy said, only a monster can do this kind of evil thing. She also did her best to shift suspicion away from herself. According to ABC News, Narcy told investigators that Ben had many enemies, describing him as a hard person, a strong businessman, and saying he has a tendency to make people angry. Narcy failed several polygraphs, and she didn't make herself look any better by clearing out her late husband's safety deposit boxes and liquidating his assets shortly after his death. A search warrant was executed on her Fort Lauderdale home on July 16th, four days after Ben's death. In addition to the two-story, 6,000-square-foot home with six bedrooms, Broward County detectives also searched an unattached cottage occupied by Narcy's daughter, May. According to ABC News, the search turned up several pieces of evidence, including various computer and digital recording devices, 
a phone book and day planner, eight millimeter video cassette tapes, and a beta tape. The finding that really stood out was five rolls of duct tape. All of this still wasn't enough evidence to directly implicate Narcy in Ben's murder. As detectives continued investigating, they determined that a key had not been used to enter the couple's hotel suite between Narcy eating breakfast and returning to the room. This detail prompted the suspicion that Narcy had granted entry to the person responsible for her husband's death. One thing was certain, Narcy stood to gain more with Ben dead than to have him build a new life with another woman. In total, Ben's assets were estimated to be between six to $10 million. As is often the case, the wheels of justice moved slowly. It would be almost a year before detectives narrowed in on who was responsible for Ben Novak's death. And they did this by re-examining Bernice Novak's sudden passing. When Rybrook police learned the victim's mother had died under mysterious circumstances just three months earlier, it didn't sit right with them. Westchester County detectives flew down to Fort Lauderdale to do their own investigation. They were deeply troubled by what they discovered. As reported by the Miami Herald, in the weeks leading up to Bernice's death, she and her neighbors reported a series of alarming activities in the otherwise serene community where she lived. One day, a statue was thrown through Bernice's window. On more than one occasion, a neighbor spotted two strange men inspecting Bernice's property. Bernice's sister, Maxine, had been adamant that Fort Lauderdale police had it all wrong. Maxine believed there was no way that Bernice's death was the result of a series of accidental falls. Taking matters into her own hands, she questioned witnesses long before Rybrook detectives became involved. Just a week after Ben was found murdered, a major break in the case arrived at the Rybrook police station in the form of an anonymous letter. The letter, which was written in Spanish, was dated July 20th of 2009. According to the Miami Herald, the writer called the crime the perfect murder and detailed the names of those involved, how the murders were committed, and all events leading up to the acts. Rybrook police said to the Miami Herald, what we found interesting in the letter is there were names in it at the time we were not aware of. And as we did our own investigation, we found that information to be true. The unknown sender provided a number of leads and encouraged investigators to take a closer look at Bernice Novak's death. If what the writer said panned out, Bernice's killer had gotten away with murder. Shopify has already revolutionized the way millions of people sell billions of products worldwide, taking the cash register online. But did you know that Shopify can work its magic in your retail store too? Get ready to give your point of sale system a major upgrade with Shopify. Picture this, you have a brick and mortar store and you're ready to take things to the next level. With Shopify POS, you get everything you need to rock your in-person sales. Accepting payments, check. Managing inventory, check. 
Shopify has got your back, making sure that you have all the tools to sell like a pro. Shopify effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one powerful source of truth. No more juggling different platforms or losing track of sales. Everything is seamlessly integrated, allowing you to track every sale across your business in one place. They can also help you connect with your customers both inline and online. Are tailor-made for marketing campaigns on platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and beyond. Drive store traffic, sit back, and watch your sales soar. Shopify has options that fit all of your business needs, whether it's accepting payments by smartphone, turning your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or using Shopify's POS Go mobile device. You'll have a battle-tested solution ready to roll. And let's not forget the best part, Shopify's award-winning customer support. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash murderish, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash murderish to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash murderish. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Rybrook detectives looked into the names mentioned in the anonymous letter. Narcy Novak was mentioned. So were several men, including Narcy's brother, 58-year-old Miami bus driver, Cristobal Valise. Over the next several months, detectives examined Valise's trail of credit card receipts and cell phone records. The documents revealed that he'd made several trips between New York and Miami. As reported by the South Florida Sun Sentinel, one credit card transaction at a Miami Kmart stood out. Belize had purchased a set of barbells and a utility knife. Investigators theorized that these items were potential murder weapons since they aligned with Ben Novak's extensive injuries. Two other men were linked to Valise through cell phone records and wire transfers. Alejandro Garcia worked at a Miami car wash frequented by Valise, and Joel Gonzalez operated a hot dog cart there. Both men were native Spanish speakers and were caught on camera leaving the Hilton in Rybrook shortly after Ben Novak's murder. According to court documents, Garcia was arrested in November of 2009 on unrelated theft charges in Miami. Westchester County detectives seized the opportunity to question him about Ben Novak's murder. Though Garcia insisted he knew nothing at the time, a stint in prison for the theft conviction led to a change of heart. In June of 2010, both Garcia and Gonzalez cooperated with state investigators and federal authorities in exchange for a plea deal. The testimony of both men made it evident. The mother and son murders had been an elaborate plot orchestrated by Narcy Novak and Cristobal Valise. Garcia's confession confirmed the connection between both crimes. He told investigators that Valise had offered him $15,000 to kill Bernice Novak and assist in the murder of Ben Novak. On the day he killed Bernice, 
Garcia rode in a rented Toyota Scion with an accomplice who acted as the getaway driver. Valise followed along in his green Nissan Pathfinder. Both sets of drivers received instructions from Narcy as they trailed Bernice around town. Narcy hated her mother-in-law. According to the Miami Herald, Garcia had been told that Bernice encouraged her son to beat his wife. This information made Garcia feel less remorse about the job he was hired to do. As Garcia put it, he was paid $1,000 in cash to beat up an old lady, according to the Journal News. When it seemed like Bernice had settled in for the evening, Garcia parked down the block and set off on foot toward the house. He hid behind some garbage cans, clutching a wrench as he waited for an opportune moment. As the sun began to set, Bernice emerged from the house again to pull her car into the garage. When the garage door was raised, Garcia slipped inside. As Bernice turned to step out of her car, her attacker landed his first blow to her head, using the flat part of the wrench. Another blow hit her on the face, then another. Bernice fell back inside the car as blood sprayed onto the driver's seat and front console. According to the Miami Herald, Garcia testified that Bernice looked at me and screamed. The plan was to hit her in the teeth and give her a good beating. Garcia told investigators that after the attack, he wiped down the steering wheel and then returned to where his driver was waiting. As they drove off, Bernice was still in the driver's seat and her head was moving. For Bernice, the sudden sharp pain must have been blinding. Based on blood spatter found at the scene, Rybrook detectives were able to piece together what happened next. Bernice managed to pull herself out of the car and used every remaining ounce of strength to crawl across the cold floor toward the doorway. Back inside, Bernice grabbed a clean towel from her laundry basket to dab at the bloody gashes saturating her face. But it was no use. Bernice would be dead soon from her injuries. It's likely Garcia learned of Bernice's death with the rest of the world. It was convenient for him that the crime was written off as an accident. If foul play had been suspected, Ben Novak's murder may have been prevented. Or maybe Cristobal Valise would have just hired a different hitman. When Gonzalez was questioned, he immediately implicated Narcy Novak. In police documents cited by the Miami Herald, Gonzalez detailed the attack on Ben Novak's life. He said Narcy had opened the door to the hotel suite at around 7 o'clock in the morning on July 12th, urging the hitman to carry out her plan. Narcy watched as Garcia and Gonzalez pummeled her husband with a pair of dumbbells as he cried out in agony. Ben tried to fight off his attackers, but he was overpowered by the younger men. Garcia used duct tape to bind Ben's wrists and ankles, and then Gonzalez resumed the assault. Ben pleaded for his wife to help him. Instead, Narcy handed Gonzalez a pillow to muffle his screams, according to Garcia's testimony cited by the Miami Herald. At that point, Garcia was so disturbed by the scene that he tried to leave, but Narcy ordered him back inside. At Narcy's urging, Gonzalez wrapped Ben's mouth with a double layer of duct tape. To finish him off, Narcy had one final directive for Garcia. 
to gouge out her husband's eyeballs with a utility knife. Garcia told detectives that once the job was done, Narcy gave the men a diamond-studded bracelet spelling out the victim's name. It was a partial payment until her brother Cristobal could send a wire transfer for the full amount. On July 9th of 2010, nearly a year to the day since Ben Novak Jr.'s grisly murder, Narcy Novak was arrested in Fort Lauderdale. According to the South Florida Sun Sentinel, she was immediately extradited to New York to face federal stalking and domestic violence charges related to her husband's death. Her brother, Cristobal Valise, was taken into federal custody a few days later. In addition to first-degree murder, the siblings faced a laundry list of charges, including witness tampering, racketeering, and solicitation of murder. Federal prosecutors had strong evidence a double murder had been orchestrated by both suspects. Due to the violent nature of their crimes, Assistant U.S. Attorney Elliot B. Jacobson convinced a judge to block any attempts to bond out of federal custody. As court proceedings got underway, the siblings pitted themselves against each other. It was a reverse tug of war over who was to blame for the murder-for-hire plot to get rich. The highly anticipated trial began on April 23rd of 2012 and lasted nine weeks. Narcy Novak and Cristobal Valise were tried together, with their accomplices providing key testimony against them. U.S. District Judge Kenneth M. Carras presided over a packed federal courtroom in White Plains, New York. In opening arguments, Westchester County Prosecutor Perry Perrone emphasized the severity of the crime that ended Ben Novak's life. As quoted by the South Florida Sun Sentinel, he told the court, they didn't just want him dead, they wanted him to suffer. It was a personal killing. It was a sadistic killing. With a slew of evidence mounted against both defendants, it was a challenge to build a viable defense. Narcy's attorney, Howard Tanner, decided a classic redirect was his best option. He suggested that Narcy's daughter from a previous relationship had a strong motive to have Ben Jr. killed. According to ABC News, Maya Abad had two young sons who were next in line to inherit her stepfather's estate if Narcy was convicted. Tanner alleged that it was Maya who had hired the hitman and then framed her mother. There was no evidence of Maya's involvement. Narcy's legal team were grasping at straws. Valise's attorney, Lawrence Sheehan, chose a different angle. He contended that even if his client had hired Gonzalez and Garcia as hitmen, Valise had not held a gun to their heads. If anyone were to be held responsible, it was the hired hitman and Narcy, who allegedly masterminded the entire scheme. Alejandro Garcia was a star federal witness. As part of his plea deal, he testified for five days, providing extensive details about both Novak killings. According to the Miami Herald, Garcia said that he had to drink two full bottles of rum for liquid courage before assaulting Bernice with a monkey wrench. Garcia also shared his recollection of the hotel attack that ended Ben Novak Jr.'s life. Preparations for the hit began a week before. 
with him and Gonzalez traveling from their home base of Miami to New York and back. According to court records, Garcia said they bought baseball gloves to prevent any trace of fingerprints at the scene before checking into a cheap Brooklyn motel. Then they waited for a signal from Belize, who was waiting at a nearby gas station. At around 6.39 a.m. on July 12th, Narcy called her brother, who reached out to his son-in-law, Dennis Rodriguez. It was his job to drive the hitmen over to the hotel where the target was staying. Garcia opted to play the more innocent assassin, if there is such a thing. He testified that during the hotel killing, he had to stop Gonzalez at one point for going too far. But when Gonzalez took the stand, he alleged that it was Garcia who had displayed more brutality. After all, Garcia had cut out the victim's eyes. From start to finish, the double murder plot was a family affair. But one of Narcy's relatives had played a less sinister role. She'd actually aided the investigation. As reported by the Palm Beach Post, it was revealed during a pretrial hearing that the mysterious letter received by Rybrook police just days after Ben's murder was written by one of Narcy Novak's sisters, Letitia Taruno. Another key witness was Rebecca Bliss, Ben Novak's mistress. Bliss shared how Narcy tried to get her to exit Ben's life by paying her off. Under questioning by Assistant U.S. Attorney Andrew Demmer, Bliss confirmed Ben's desire to leave his wife for her and how doing so would threaten Narcy's financial stability. As quoted by People.com, Bliss stated, she said that if she couldn't have him, no other woman was going to have him. But killing Ben for his infidelity wouldn't have satisfied Narcy's true motive, according to prosecutors. In order to get the Novak family's fortune, it was necessary to kill Bernice, too. According to the Miami Herald, Ben's will appointed his mother curator of his estate. In the event of his premature death, Bernice would have complete control over her son's finances. That outcome wouldn't have ended favorably for Narcy. It seems Narcy's brother Valise had gotten involved in the plan to do away with the Novaks for the money. When Valise took the stand, he testified that his Nissan Pathfinder had been stolen with his cell phone and debit card inside, according to the Palm Beach Post. He said whoever took his car must have committed the crimes. Valise also accused his niece, Maya Abad, of kidnapping him and holding him captive in a basement for 18 days. Valise claimed that Maya only let him go when he promised not to tell anyone about the murders. These wild allegations seemed unbelievable and were completely unfounded. Toward the end of his testimony, Valise made an attempt to explain why he moved thousands of dollars around and sent interstate wire transfers. According to the Palm Beach Post, Valise mentioned expenses like repairs on his Porsche, gifts for girlfriends, and his sister Narcy's legal expenses in a battle to retain control over the Novak estate. Valise's testimony offered no explanation for money he wired directly to Gonzalez and Garcia. 
Valise's testimony didn't exactly work in his favor. One juror with the surname Daly later told the Sydney Morning Herald, I think Cristobal dug his own grave by testifying. He was lying. Then the trial took a bizarre turn. In an attempt to drum up sympathy for his client, Narcy's attorney called retired Fort Lauderdale detective Stephen Palazzo to testify. Palazzo said he'd been called to the Novak residence in 2002 over a domestic dispute. Narcy said that Ben Jr. had hit her and broke her nose. As reported by the Los Angeles Times, Narcy told Palazzo that she had to have surgery to fix her nose, and when she woke up, she had breast implants. Under cross-examination, though, Palazzo was forced to admit there were other incidents involving the couple where police had to get involved. In 2002, Bernice contacted police to accuse Narcy of trying to poison her. That same year, Fort Lauderdale officers were called about a robbery at Ben and Narcy's home. According to the Miami Herald, Ben told police that several men had broken in and tied him to a living room recliner while they ransacked the home. He said the robbery had been planned by his wife, but under questioning, Narcy claimed it had all been part of an outlandish sex game. No charges were ever filed. And with that, the trial had become a lurid soap opera. The sensational details of Ben and Narcy's private life started to detract from the real focus, getting justice for both victims. The tone in the courtroom shifted entirely when prosecutors exhibited physical evidence. The jury were shown graphic photos as medical examiners outlined injuries suffered by both victims. As reported by the South Florida Sun Sentinel, Ben had been beaten so savagely that 20 of his ribs were cracked and his head was bashed in. Ben's official cause of death was listed as blunt force trauma and asphyxiation. His mouth had been wrapped so tightly with tape that he choked on it. The jury were horrified by the fact that Narcy had watched as her husband of nearly two decades was barbarically tortured to death. Narcy showed no remorse in court or between court dates. She even granted telephone interviews from jail. Defense attorneys contended that most of the government's evidence against the co-defendants was based on suspicions, appearances, hearsay, and speculation, according to the Miami Herald. However, it was difficult to dispute the connections between the siblings and the hitmen, which was laid out in cell phone and banking records. Jury deliberations lasted a little less than three days. After reviewing thousands of pages of transcripts, over 200 hours of testimony, and the physical evidence of the two crime scenes, the jury reached a verdict. Both Narcy Novak and her brother Cristobal Valise were found guilty on multiple charges. Narcy was convicted of 12 out of 13 counts against her, and Cristobal was convicted on 14 out of 15 counts. Their convictions included racketeering, stalking, four counts of violent crime in aid of racketeering, conspiracy to commit and committing interstate domestic violence, two counts of money laundering, and witness tampering. The one charge that did not stick for either sibling? Felony murder. 
According to the Miami Herald, a federal case requires the victim to be robbed as well as killed for a conviction. The outcome troubled the Novak's loved ones, but there was solace in knowing the number of convictions guaranteed that Cristobal and Narcy would likely never walk free again. At a mid-December sentencing hearing, Narcy refused to fully face the repercussions of her actions. She asked the U.S. District Judge for permission to leave the courtroom and listen in from an adjacent room. Though her request was granted, the judge would later say her final act of cowardice was walking out of this courtroom today, according to the New York Times. Narcy's attorney, Howard Tanner, had a request of his own. He wanted leniency for his client and asked for a sentence of 27 years instead of life behind bars. Tanner maintained that Valise had planned the murders. Valise's lawyer made the same argument in favor of a lighter sentence for his client. The judge dismissed the recommendations and sentenced both Narcy Novak and Cristobal Valise to life in prison with no parole. As reported by the New York Times, in addition to the prison terms, the siblings were ordered to forfeit all of their assets, including real estate, bank accounts, vehicles, and other personal property belonging to Ben Novak Jr., with a collective value of more than $7 million. The convicted brother and sister were also ordered to pay over $100,000 to Novak Enterprises, money they had stolen after Ben's murder. After sentencing, U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara said in a press release, Narcy Novak and her brother, Cristobal Valise, have blood on their hands and unspeakable acts of violence to their names, and they will spend the rest of their lives in prison, answering for what they did in the name of money. Judge Karaz believed justice was served, but considered the killings senseless. He said to the Miami Herald that Narcy Novak lived a life of privilege. If she had a marriage she wasn't happy with, she could have gotten a divorce. But filing for divorce would have left Narcy financially disadvantaged based on the prenup that she'd signed before she and Ben got married. As for the men hired to do the siblings' dirty work, their punishments varied in severity. Alejandro Garcia, the man who killed Bernice Novak with a monkey wrench, was sentenced to 17 and a half years in prison after pleading guilty to interstate domestic violence. Joel Gonzalez, who assisted in the assault that ended Ben Novak Jr.'s life, was sentenced to a 10-year prison term. Dennis Ramirez and Francisco Picado, who drove getaway cars from the murder scenes, were both sentenced to time served. Valise and Narcy's attorneys have attempted to appeal their life sentences without any success. Narcy Novak is serving her sentence at Tallahassee Federal Correctional Institute, a low-security prison. It's been rumored that she's befriended notorious sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell, who's also serving her time there. Bernice Novak's life may have ended in tragedy, but her legacy at the Fountain Blue Miami Beach Hotel lives on. According to her obituary on Find a Grave, her cremated remains have been scattered on the hotel's front lawn. It seems fitting for Bernice to rest eternally at the same place where she and her son once welcomed guests into their own slice of paradise. 
Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I'm going to be on Podcast Row at CrimeCon again this year. CrimeCon is happening in Orlando, Florida from September 22nd to September 24th of 2023. And I'll be there all weekend on Podcast Row, meeting fans of the show and enjoying the company of so many other true crime podcasters and high-profile individuals who work in the true crime space. If you're planning to attend CrimeCon, and I hope you are, use my promo code MURDERISH for 10% off a standard badge. Just go to CrimeCon.com and use code MURDERISH for 10% off. I really hope to see you there. All right, Murderish listeners, you got to make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air. That's J-A-M-I on Air on Instagram and TikTok, especially because I recently started a true crime TV club called Serial Streamers. So the Serial Streamers is just like a book club, but it's a club for people who watch true crime TV series and documentaries. So if you want to join the Serial Streamers Club, just follow me on Instagram at Jamie on Air and watch for videos about the latest TV series that we're watching. So you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts on each case. That's Jamie on Air on Instagram. I also record video of every Serial Streamers episode on YouTube. So make sure to subscribe at Jamie on Air on YouTube. If you want to listen to the podcast with no interruptions, you can do so by signing up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon. To sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic, visit Murderish.com or just go to Patreon.com and search for Murderish there and start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. Thank you so much to Renata J, Florencia V, and Phyllis W for becoming the latest Murderish Behind the Mic patrons. I really appreciate your support. If you need more podcasts to listen to, I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime. The podcast follows my investigation of a woman I met a few years ago, a woman who turned out to be a prolific scam artist. Dirty Money Moves is available in all podcast players. If you enjoy Murderish, consider leaving a positive rating and review in any podcast app. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. All right, Murderish listeners, I need your help with another missing person case. Ashley Summers has been missing from Cleveland, Ohio since July 7th or 8th of 2007. She's a white female with light brown hair and blue eyes. She's about five feet, five inches tall and weighs approximately 130 pounds. She has a tattoo on her upper right arm of a red heart with the name Jean spelled with a G in black ink. Ashley was last seen near a family member's residence. At the time of her disappearance, Ashley Summers was 14 years old and would be around 30 years old today. If you have any information about Ashley Summers, please contact your local FBI office or the FBI field office in Cleveland, Ohio. I'll leave a link to her missing persons flyer in the episode notes. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.